Chapter 7. A New Dawn, A New Day It was a long night. Food was eaten, wine was drunk, candles were burned to the end, and many thousands made merry until the sun reluctantly poked its nose cautiously over the horizon, not wanting to disturb the delicate heads of the revellers. Zeba awoke with an inane grin. Sunlight filtered through the soft, creamy cotton curtains and onto his new love, the perfect Ella. Morning sun rays played across her face, and the sound of the waves lapping the side of the city calmed his mind. This, he decided, was the life. He had found what he'd been looking for. Whilst he'd spent quite a while in the company of the beguiling mayoress, he had also had some fascinating and in-depth conversations about, in alphabetical order, astrology, chronomancy, geomancy, naviology, a new thing called tassiomancy, involving reading the used leaves of a substance called tea, and even scatomancy. Yes! He sighed. He was tired of travelling and loved the sound of the waves through the window. Try seemed like a fun place, and if he was honest with himself, he wouldn't be very well welcome back home in Bidoop. He'd been the odd kid of the village, always staring at poop or entrails or hoof marks, wondering what they could tell him of the past and the future. He'd always hoped there was actually something in all this antsy business. He could do with settling down and studying it, and the men he'd met yesterday were interested in similar things to him, and they had tales of far-off lands where they had picked up new skills. The ladies, too, were interesting. His eye had been caught by a few more during the long, rowdy evening. He looked again at Ella. She was very attractive, but she was a bit older. He wondered how long a relationship would last. Just as he was wondering all this, there was a timid knock at the door before it gently swung open. A woman about his age entered carrying two mugs with a steaming liquid inside. She saw Zeba and smiled coyly. Zeba smiled back. Ella suddenly sat up. She was used to waking quickly, being mayoress and all, and in truth, she had been pretending to be asleep for a while. Thank you, June, said Ella, taking one of the mugs. Thank you, uh, uh, June, said Zeba, taking one for himself. Ooh, hot, he added, looking at the young woman as his and her hands briefly touched. June retreated to tidy up and find her mistress's clothes for the day. Ella took a sip and then wasted no time. Zeba, isn't it? she asked her companion. Yes, Zeba, I'm from Badoop, but... Ah, yes, Zeba Badoop, the scat man. That's what Bob called you. Why is that? Oh, uh, I have an interest in scatomancy, the art of foretelling the future by... Oh, yes, yes, I remember now, interrupted Ella, slightly revolted. She wanted to enjoy her morning cup of tea. She'd seen the looks exchanged between him and her maid and saw an opportunity not to get tied down. Do you like it here, Zeba? In try? Oh, yes, very much. Good. You can stay if you like. But Bob? Bob will be leaving. In fact, you can help me with that. I can? Yes. I have to go now, but drink up your tea now and uh, tell June what you see in the leaves. Chapter 8 Great Bob's Up Bob awoke. He cried out immediately in pain. His head did not want to be moved, though his insides craved to be emptied of solids and liquids that pushed hard on the outside of whatever organs they filled within him. 
With an almighty effort, he lifted himself up. Quite why there were so many other people in the large bed was beyond him. Somewhere around the fourth flagon of wine and or third suckling pig, his powers of recall gave up. "'Where's the shittery?' he demanded of the first person whose eyes he saw open, a young bedraggled man on the floor, who may or may not have been one of his officers. It was hard to tell. Everyone seemed to have swapped clothes during the night. "'That way, govern, turn right,' croaked the man, pointing to a doorway. On completing his business, Bob decided to go for an explore. He felt oddly comfortable walking around, lighter, fresher than usual despite the throbbing in his head and the fact that he gagged at the smell of his own breath. On investigating, he realised this was because he was wearing a flowing, silky white dress. For a second he was horrified, but then his hungover mind decided not to care. He had conquered lands across the known world, apart from the beasts that lived within the swamps and dark forests, of course. He could wear what he liked, especially if it ventilated him as pleasantly as his current apparel did. It was the only plus point to his physical state. Mentally, he was still cruising in neutral. He hadn't recalled much from the night before. From what he could see, bodies strewn around the floor, broken vases, spilt wine, he figured that the night before had entailed either a massive party or a great victory. He assumed the latter, or perhaps a mix of both. That would be perfect. Still, he wasn't sure he'd have conquered a city whilst wearing a dress, no matter how much it comforted or suited him. He staggered on and out of the residential area. He discovered that he was a few floors up, the extra swirly feeling in his head as he was suddenly greeted by open air and a long drop confirmed that. Sounds entered his head and his brain worked furiously to decode them. Looking down over some carved pine banisters, he saw a busy marketplace below him. People were bustling, baking, hithering, thithering, cooking, washing, chatting, a few even whistling. Perfumes of freshly prepared food and steam from hot drinks wafted upwards towards him. He felt a modicum of his regular consciousness beginning to burrow its way towards the front of his brain. He became aware of a presence beside him. My liege, breakfast is ready. Maris Ella, the perfect fifth, awaits upon your pleasure. A smartly dressed, tall, efficient-looking woman stood beside him, her eyes fixed straight ahead as if she was part of a military parade. Beside her, was an oldish, weary-looking man. "'Who are you?' demanded Bob. "'Deputy to the mayoress, my lord. For the duration of my service, I am known as Number Two. Bob flinched slightly. He'd had a tough time of it in the toilet, though it had been worth it, and he felt several pounds lighter, which, in all probability, he was. "'And what do you do, then?' he asked of the man. The man shrugged. "'Don't I really just follow her round, do what I'm told?' Someone pays me. Bob didn't know what to think. He didn't have time. This way, please, great emperor, said number two, showing the way with the palm of her hand. And may I add what a delight it is to see you looking so well and so fashionable. I'm certain the people of Trier will be copying your look in days to come. Bob had indeed begun to notice that many of the men were wearing dresses. It seemed it hadn't taken him long to go native. 
He was presented with a comfortable pair of fur slippers and led down the stairs to the marketplace below. As he was slowly shown through the thronging streets and alleys, people looked appreciatively at him. Men nodded, then turned and whispered to their friends. Looking behind him, Bob could see them rushing to a clothes stall selling white fabric and dresses. He walked tall, feeling slightly better after the night's revelries. Outside an official-looking building was the mayoress. She bowed low and greeted him. Good morning, Emperor. I trust you had a good evening in the company of our humble and welcoming people and city. It looks like everyone is impressed with your attire this morning. Bob looked for signs of trickery or subversion in her voice or demeanour, but there was none. She keenly pointed to the cloth sellers, now doing good business in white fabric, similar to what he found himself wearing. But forgive me, continued his hostess, you have been offered no nourishment. Ella snapped her fingers. There was a flurry of activity behind her, and a seat at the head of a table in the street presented itself. In front of him was a mug filled with steaming liquid. Please, drink, motioned Ella. Bob tentatively sat himself down, aware of all the eyes upon him. Some of them he thought he recognised, though if he had to admit it out loud, he would say that he'd never been all that good with faces and names. What is this? he asked warily. Chapter 9. Bob's Off Tea, my lord, called out a familiar voice. It was his most trusted general, Jenikos, who stepped forward and presented himself. He, at least, was still dressed in some semblance of military uniform. I had some upon wakening, and it is most revitalising. Bob nodded. He decided to give it a go. It was, indeed, as Jenikos had suggested, revitalising. The bitterness was oddly refreshing. He finished one cup, and then, after having devoured a sweet bready cake, started on another. This is good, he pronounced. Ella smiled back joyfully. We so hoped you would like it. It comes from a land far to the southeast, brought to us by traders and pirates who brave the wild seas. Good, good, replied Bob. We must take some with us on our next conquest. It will keep us alert and refreshed. The crowd concurred that this would be a great idea. Tell me, continued the Great One. A splodge of cake left his mouth and landed on the table. Ella's smile didn't waver. Where is my seer? What has become of him? I, I must consult. Look no further, Emperor. Here he comes, answered Ella. The crowd parted, and Zeba strode through purposefully, followed immediately by June, Ella's assistant. You called, I answer, he said confidently and bowed low. Ah, the scat man, called out Bob. I require your skills. No doubt you'll be leading me to some animal who the gods have seen fit to send messages through. No need, my lord. You may stay seated. I have been studying all night. Zeba paused for dramatic effect and spread his arms wide. In this city, the gods are using new means to communicate with us. They have sent a substance across the wild seas with the power to tell the future. This excited Bob. Oh, I know. It, it's tea, isn't it? I just drank some. Yes, oh great one. There is a reason you just drank tea, said Zeba, leaning in conspiratorially. There is? There is. Allow me. 
Zeba cleared the table in front of Bob, save for the almost empty mug of tea. It was almost empty since Bob had not wanted to get the leaves at the bottom in his mouth. From his person, Zeba fetched two crystals, a feather and a small wooden toy boat. June had helped him find these things within the last few minutes. He placed the crystals at north and south, then the feather at the west, where the wind flies from, and the boat at the east, from whence the tea travels. Several local fortune tellers had gathered to see the spectacle and quietly debated what they thought was about to happen. Tilting his head backwards in his own language, which was completely unknown to all around him, he muttered, O oh gods, take this short fool away from me so that I may lie with June and possibly others and have a peaceful life surrounded by the waves and sun here in Try." He then picked up Bob's used mug, held it high and then slammed it at force down in the middle of the circle he had created. Bob and everyone else involuntarily jumped in shock. One of the fortune tellers, herself an experienced tassiographer, was about to call out against the fraud she was witnessing, but luckily she was spotted by Ella, who with one hard glare prevented her from speaking. Zeba took his time. He waved his hands over the split leaves, he mumbled, and he held the crystals to his forehead. Well? asked Bob at last. My lord, whispered Zeba ominously. Yes? There is much news. Go on. Firstly, my lord, this is a great day. It is? Try is yours. Your triumph is complete. Ella was the first to applaud and cheer, and everyone quickly joined in. Zeba hushed them. You can rest assured that Tri will remain faithful to your leadership. Through Tri, you will command the seas beyond the known world. Excellent, exalted the Great One. But, interrupted Zeba, the gods demand something in return. This richness comes at a cost. Ah, yes, the gods are fickle, but I have not let them down yet, mused Bob, stroking his overnight stubble. Indeed, you have not, so listen well, my lord. You will need to leave Try in the charge of your most trusted man, one who will ensure that trades will continue and will benefit your empire. This line from north to south in the leaves here is their message. Actually, yes, I, I was thinking something along those lines myself, said Bob. I mean, can't leave a woman in charge, he glanced at Ella. No offence. None taken, your greatness, answered Ella, still smiling. There is none I trust more than you, Jenikos, said Bob, beckoning the old general near. My lord, I have served you and your family all my life. You know I'll do whatever you ask, but this, this is the will of the gods, Jenikos, not just me. You will stay and rule in my stead, ordered Bob. As you wish, my lord, said Jenikos, bowing. He turned to return to the crowd, winking imperceptibly to Ella. My lord, there is more, urged Zeba. One more thing the gods ask, and some news. Okay, get on with it then. My powers here are strong. 
The wind carries instructions from the gods with great clarity. I wrestled with it all night. I pleaded with them, but now, on seeing the leaves, I can see that their mind is made up. You see this leaf here on the edge, the small one in the water close to the dominant leaf here. Zebra's finger darted about the table and Bob's gaze followed obediently. This indicates I am to stay here and try. There are forces across the unending sea who gather, and I must remain here to warn you of the time, should they grow strong enough. Bob's head was filled with contradicting thoughts. There was more beyond the known world. An unknown world. That's where the tea must come from. That's what the mayoress had meant when she talked of traders and pirates. But should he sail out to conquer these lands? How would he know which way to go? Or should he stay and consolidate his power in the known world so as to become too strong for any invaders? And what of his seer? Could he trust him to stay here? Why were the gods commanding? My lord, the last piece of news, said Zeba, prompting Bob from his reverie. Bob looked up, shaking himself back into the scene. What is it? I believe the leaves are telling us of insurrection to the south. In Ulevsi, the people are mocking you. It may even be that they will soon acquire tea and become too rich to control. You have seen this? Yes, my lord. As I said, the winds and sea here bring me great power. This is where I must stay in order to protect your empire. Bob looked at his seer, who stared adamantly back. And I see you've a local lass to keep you company. Good. We'll need to leave a garrison here. And they should marry the local women and breed good soldiers. An excellent plan, Emperor. Yes, good work. Bob struggled to remember Zebra's name. He only remembered Scatman, but that was hardly appropriate now. Well, it seems we shall have to change your name now. You shall be Mr. T. As you command, my lord. Bob stood up and put a hand on Zebra's shoulder. And I pity the fool who tries to come between us, though we may be many leagues apart. He turned to the crowd. Bring forth my captains and generals. We have work to do. Ulevsi shall burn. There was a flurry of movement as the visitors amongst them prepared to leave. This mostly involved stuffing their pockets with as many snacks as possible, buying or stealing as much tea as they could carry, wishing an emotional goodbye to new friends and lovers or, for those who couldn't face the prospect of a long march and more battles, hiding. Bob approached Jinnikos, clasping him on the forearm in a show of trust and friendship. Jinnikos, you will command try and bring us great wealth. The tea has much revived me, and we must secure as much of that as possible to trade. Now, as to Elefsi... Yes, my lord, you must march with all haste. I will gather us a navy. The mayoress has told me of allies in the nearby islands who can supply more ships. As you enter the bay, we will attack from the sea ten days from now. Good, good. It is all in hand. This has been a good victory for us. Long may they continue, my lord. Cedric, where is my spokesman Cedric? I will need him in the coming days, called out Bob. Cedric, being a head taller than everyone else, couldn't hide. He arrived with a sheepish grin, clasping a mug of tea. 
Eventually, the great army trudged out of the front gate, led by their white-robed emperor. Every slam of the thousands of feet was accompanied by one small squeak, audible from just within the gate. The head of Terry the Taunter appeared over the edge of the ramparts, but one more glare from Ella prevented him from seeing off their guests with one final insult. The great band of marching men, accompanied by hundreds of wagons, carts and beasts of burden, eventually began to be lost to the horizon, the threatening sound of stamping boots receding. At last, when they could see no more, Ella, Jenikos, Zeba and June all turned to one another. A big smile erupted on their faces and they jumped into the air together, holding one another in joy as they bounced on the spots laughing. As they calmed down, Ella turned to face her people, gathered in the square in front of the great gate. She leapt aboard a barrel and, pumping her fist in the air, proclaimed victory. As the cheers died down, she addressed them all. Ladies and gentlemen of the great and independent city of Tri, I want to personally congratulate every one of you for playing your part in ridding us of the scourge of Bob the so-called Great. A fantastic ambush awaits his army when he reaches Elevsi, so well done to all of you who chose to leave his company and join us here in Tri. It's a good job he doesn't know about the rest of the unconquered isles. Tomorrow we shall set sail to do our bit from the sea in ridding everyone of that annoying little man once and for all. Cheers and more cheers. Now, out. I know it's been a strain, we've used every last bit of our reserves and had to part with some of our beloved tea, but I think you'll agree it's been worth it to diminish his power, make new friends and come out of this all alive. First thing tomorrow, those who aren't involved in the sea trip will start dismantling that ugly causeway. Yeah, and I want to find out what that squeak is outside the gate, added Zeba to applause and laughter. Okay, let's tidy up and then have a good nap so we're ready tomorrow. Well done, everyone. Ella jumped down and went to Zeba and Jenikos. Well done, you two. Top class acting there. You had him so fooled. Only following your ideas, Maris, replied Jenikos humbly. Great to be rid of the little fool. I have to admit he's a great tactician, but so full of himself and he just doesn't know when to stop. But I do and I'm stopping here. I've had enough of charging around the world, bullying people. Well, I'm sure you'll be happy here. Zeba, I think you had the fortune tellers fooled as well. If you don't want to learn tea leaf reading properly, I think there's a career waiting for you in the theatre. You know, I think I am better at making things up. I might go and check that out. Thanks, Maris. Ella bid them goodbye, then turned and looked for number two, who she quickly spotted efficiently ordering people around to pick things up and put stuff away. Number two, she called. The tall, broad woman marched obediently to her superior. The older man trudged slowly behind, taking some time to catch up. Number two, whispered Ella before he arrived. I've been meaning to ask you. I've forgotten the name of the old chap who follows you around. I mean, he's very useful sometimes, but... I've no idea, Mum. I thought you appointed him but he's been hanging around for over a year. I know, ma'am. Oh, here he is. Ella smiled at the man, who nodded slowly back. As ever, his thin, unwashed hair hung limply past his cheeks, 
which bobbed slowly up and down just above his shoulders. Ah, uh, there you are, chuckled Ella nervously. Um, I've been meaning to ask you. She leaned in, trying to prompt him to give her his name. He simply raised an eyebrow and said, Yes? Look, um, just wanted to say thanks for the ideas on sending that boat out to Ulefsi just before the siege started, and your knowledge of Bob and how to flatter him and use his superstitious nature and generally get us through this unscathed. I mean, you've been around for a while, but I can't for the life of me recall... recall... Uh, she couldn't bring herself to say that she didn't know his name or where he'd come from. That's okay, he mumbled. Just doing my bit, you know. Do you mind if I take an early nap? Not at all, Mr... But the old chap simply turned and sauntered off towards a covered alleyway that led Ella knew not where. Chapter 10. What happened next? Well, Bob died at the Battle of Ulevsi. He was shot by flaming arrows from the ships in the bay that he believed to be his new navy. His final words are unprintable here. Ella, much to her annoyance, was recalled for a third term as mayoress following the short-lived disgrace of Suzanne the Suspended Fourth. Luckily, she had a much more peaceful third term of power and afterwards found love with a flag folder with whom she spent her days with on the city walls, the two of them becoming great friends with Terry the Taunter, much to the annoyance of the subsequent mayoresses. Zeba became a famed playwright, penning such classics as Young Bob, My Part in His Downfall, Parts 1, 2 and 3, The Scatman, Zeba Bidoop, and I Ain't Getting in No Boat, The Adventures of Mr. T. Try eventually became part of Cachalot, one of the Sven kingdoms established a thousand years later. In that time, the causeway was remantled and dismantled two more times by would-be invaders. Though it is part of Cachalot, it has never really been part of anything except itself. Mayoresses continue to be chosen at random, and everyone still takes an afternoon nap, reviving themselves with a nice cup of tea.